Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance and episode 50. This is a nice milestone and a small celebration for the podcast. It was suggested to me that I do an episode where someone actually interviews me about this. And so as reluctant as I was to do this, I figured what the hell and reached out to a good friend of mine, Mark Raffin. Mark's the host of the number one rated podcast on negotiations, the Negotiation Ninja podcast. I hold him actually partially responsible for pushing me to create the Insider's Guide to Finance. And well, it's been incredibly rewarding. So in this interview, you'll be hearing Mark question me on who I am, what I've taken away from interviewing some very successful people in the worlds of financing both public and private companies. And you'll also hear from me about my perspectives on engaging the market and the need for delivering compelling investor experiences. As part of this, I want to say thank you to you, the listeners, for sharing your appreciation and sending in your compliments. And also thank you to the guests for taking the time to share their experiences. In some cases, the discussions are raw, they're unfiltered and shedding light on their vulnerabilities, despite having quote unquote made it. As a final note, I also want to express my appreciation for Craig, Dean and Andrew at Olympia Trust Company for choosing to sponsor and support what we're doing here. So thank you again and enjoy the show. Corey Cleveland, you made it, man. Episode 50. (laughs) Nice to be here, Mark. (laughs) I'm stoked to be on the other side of the table from you today, man, and interview you for your own show celebrating your 50th episode. This is wild. It's great, man. It's been a hell of an experience. And, you know, as I mentioned, you and I started this sitting down with a beer and you said, you have to do this. And uh, (laughs) I think, um, well, it's been incredibly rewarding. So, kind of interesting to be on the other side as well, being the interviewee. Man, dude, you've just done such an incredible job. I'm so, so impressed with how quickly this thing has grown and how many guests and amazing guests that you've gotten over the last few episodes. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Really, really good job, man. Like, okay. So for the listeners who maybe don't know why you started this thing, I know we you know, as all good ideas go, this happened over a beer. But why did you start this? Like, what was the spark? Like, when I said, hey, you got to start something, why Why take action? Hmm. Uh, yeah, there is such a, a void in the market when it comes to information about how to properly finance companies. Yeah. And arguably, there's no MBA that's that's going to teach you how to get your feet on the street, how to build a story, how to create some tension and approach investors. And then not only once you, you've locked in that money and you've, you've raised that capital, when you become a public company, how do you maintain that interest on your story? 
what's the market narrative? How do you properly engage a, a market where it's, you know, there's such a pressure to perform, but also so much noise from so many other competing companies looking for investor dollars? And, and really, there's, there was nothing out there that was able to speak to this. And so it triggered the idea of creating this podcast and interviewing those who have uh, had great success or the, the service providers who support public companies and private companies going public in really being successful and, and engaging investors properly. So that was, the, that was the impetus to starting this. Yeah, rock on. I, I find that like whenever I think of the traditional investor relations kind of communications that come out of most public companies, I'm just so bored. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're just they're just part of the noise, right? So they're they're not cutting through anything, they're not saying anything exciting enough for me as an investor to be able to follow them. Is do you see that as being like a, a major, major issue with a lot of companies now? When you're communicating to investors, I, you got to be careful because one, the the lawyers definitely like to get involved with any press releases, and you know somebody once said that they they like to take any fun out of it, which you know <laughs> rightfully so. We got to keep our which they do, of, which they do. I mean, yes. if there is any profession that likes to take fun out of anything, I can say that lawyers are them. Sorry yeah, for all the lawyers that are listening. <laughs> you're boring people. Well, hey, I you said it, not me. But I mean, the thing is, is that that there's. There are issues when it comes to communicating your story, but and this has an impact of, of limiting the investor's attention span. And what I argue is that, yes, there's press releases and there's things that are required, but there's also the people behind the story. There's the executive team, there's the problem they're solving, and there's the story and why they're actually doing that that needs to be communicated to the market. And, and arguably, when you start doing that, you put people behind the company and people, investors start to gravitate towards that story over any other. And so uh, there's a huge problem that I think a lot of companies feel that they're either restricted in what they can say to the market or they don't put enough into it. They don't invest their time into it. And I think it, it can be a major downfall for companies because you lose a lot of value if you're just among a sea of other sameness. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's super uh, reactive. It can be, yeah. And, you know, oftentimes I've heard companies say, okay, well, we're going to start marketing after our news comes out because that's our major catalyst for the company. And as a public company, as an example, or even as a private company, do you want to go to your investor base and say, hey, we got some great news and this is what it means? Or do you want to start to build the interest and attention and the audience I mean, this really is almost a it's, a, it's a digital marketing play in a way of, of building your audience so that when the news does come, they're already well-versed on your story and they embrace it. And I say that that also applies to private companies as well. If you're investing uh, or if you're reaching out to venture capitalists, you don't want to just go to them and say, hey, we've done this really cool thing. Look what we got. Give us some money. Instead, you need to build that relationship over a period of months and years so that they understand it. And then once that big news comes out, they can embrace it and go, okay, yeah, you know what? We know who you are. Well done for getting there. Let's start to have advanced discussions and, and, and you know, start getting into something that is a commitment. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly important that you, uh, that public companies and private companies tell a great story out there. 
Love that, man. You know, a lot of people who now listen to your show maybe don't know a lot about your background. And one of the questions that I get from some of the people that listen to my show are, hey, man, what makes you qualified to talk on this topic? Like, who the hell are you, <laughs> first of all? Okay. I don't even know who you are. So maybe we should do this. Maybe we should get into, like, who are you? What, what brought you to this point? What did you do before the show? My career in finance, in fact, you know, you and I were at the same company, Agrium back in many years ago and was doing mergers and acquisitions finance work there as my first, you know, cutting my teeth into the world of finance. And I moved on from there rather quickly knowing that wasn't for me. And I found my position in or my place in uh, financing and building tech startups with a, a bit of an accelerator and incubator in which we would come up with wild ideas on the technology side and look to commercialize them. We would go through the many difficult rounds of finance before taking the company into the public markets and leveraging what is the public venture capital system. So it was about eight years of financing, building tech startups where I started to really understand how powerful a great investor narrative is and what it takes to to engage that investor base, especially on incredibly difficult deals, something that is such a long shot. How do you get somebody to believe not only in the story, but the team and the opportunity and communicate that this thing has a chance and here's how we're going to do it? And then not only once you, you communicate that, how do you keep them engaged so that when the time comes that they could sell, they don't? Because they're such a believer. They're an advocate for the company. That was how I spent the first almost eight to 10 years of my career in and around that world of finance. And, and that moved me into the Insider's Guide to Finance and then uh, Creative Return, where I work with public companies to, to help them do that as well now and uh, help guide their strategies and, and build out those investor marketing programs. Okay, let's talk about that for a second, because there's a lot of people who misunderstand, I think, what it is creative return does because you're not investor relations and you're not raising capital, but it's something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the main problem is, is that what we're tackling there to kind of set the stage of the problem is that as we spoke about earlier, I mean, you've got public companies who need to market to their investor audience. They need to attract investor dollars in and there's kind of a pyramid of investors. So you've got this if you picture a pyramid, on the very bottom level, you've got your retail investors. And that's a really fragmented group of people who, you know, everywhere from like the pajama trader, the guy who's trading in his mom's basement, all the way up to the more sophisticated, self-directed investor, even that high net worth individual who uh, decides to make their own, own investment decisions without an advisor. You move up that pyramid and you start getting into brokers and, and smaller institutions and even some family office money. And then right at the top of that pyramid, you've got the institutional investors, those who write big checks into deals. At that time, you're, you know, you're usually a public company or you will be a public company. And the money is very different. It has different restrictions to it. It's much more analytical. But all along that way, you need to be delivering your story. And if you're not connecting with each segment of the market, each one of those investor groups by delivering your message through various different means, you're never going to get the volume on your stock or you're never going to get the, uh, the share price up enough to you know, start to engage each incremental of that or incremental level of that pyramid. Now, to bring it back to 
the difference between investor relations and, and investor marketing, really the work we do with Creative Return is that, you know, we're not here to replace the investor relations pro by any means, that our goal is to help that investor relations professional with their investor marketing program. And there's so many service providers out there that can get the story out on behalf of the company. But how does the investor relations pro manage that? And how, from a sales standpoint, do they develop offline relationships? Well, that's where we can come in to, to back them up, make sure the service providers they're using are a right fit for the time of the company. They're being measured properly. You know the cost per lead because each investor that comes in as an investor email address or as somebody who shows interest is potentially another check or another uh, trade in your stock that's going to benefit you so you can start to increase your value of the company in the public markets. So our whole mission and goal is to tackle that problem of communicating to the market while giving the investor relations pro the, the foundation, that marketing foundation to build their relationships off of. Wild, man. I'm so excited with the growth of your business. I'm so, so excited with the growth of your business. And I'm so excited with the growth of your podcast. Speaking of the podcast, you've done now 49 episodes. This is at episode number 50. And you've had super interesting guests. Some have been obviously more memorable than others. Who have been the most memorable for you? You know, I think probably the best way to frame it, I think it actually ties into the work we do and, and the work that I guess the perhaps the passion I have of, of helping the companies I work with. But it's, you know, the ones who are most memorable were those who came at everything with a story structure or, you know, kind of those mental models and how they communicated their experience and their lessons. And, you know, I can think of a few and then per perhaps one as an example is um, a gentleman named Gordon Keep. Uh, he's the man behind Frank Justra, who's a very remarkable gold investor, a resource investor in Canada. Well, Gordon's been in the public venture capital markets for 35 years and done over 250 public companies or been on the board or participated in over 250 public companies. And as an example, when he spoke of his experience, in fact, in a two-part interview, he broke things down in a way that he said, you know, here's how I look at things. Here's how I structure them. First is this, second this, third this, fourth that. And, you know, when, when he spoke like that to me, that delivered such a message and it was just his, it was his playbook. So that was incredibly memorable. Or um, the world we play in with public companies is the markets and the TSX and the TSXV being our Canadian markets. There's also the Canadian Securities Exchange or the CSE. But uh, Brady Fletcher, who's one of the, or who is the managing director of the TSX Venture, you know, that was a great interview because he spoke about really what the the markets are and how they are a, a capital formation tool and enabling our our country and our our economy to to see great companies grow and and use what is public venture capital and like I don't think people really value how unique the platform is we have in in Canada for this public venture capital. So yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot there, but I think if anything, the ones who are most memorable are definitely those people, the guests who are able to speak with, with a real structure and, and then also those who, who, who bring story into, to what they do. So yeah, it's, um, it's been, it's been remarkable. What's the best story you've heard? Best story. I think Peter Lehrman, who is the CEO of a company called Axial, came on. I think it was actually 
interview number 17. And we went through the interview and, and there was, um, there was a time where I just threw a question out of nowhere uh, and kind of took him off guard. And, and we, we sat there with a bit of a pregnant pause and I felt that he wasn't going to answer it. And then he came forward and explained the answer to the question. And so what I'd asked him, I said, when in your career and in building your company, that's now, you know, you've raised millions of dollars for your, your seven or eight years in, when have you had an experience where, where you didn't think you'd get out of it and where you, where you knew you made an incredible mistake that was potentially company ending and, and career altering? And so this, this pause, followed by an answer from Peter, which it, it was sincerely heartfelt. And he, and he talked about a time where he made such a major mistake. And you know, maybe for clarity, it wasn't him making the mistake, but I mean, he was the CEO of the company and he was right in the throes of a, a major financing. And it was a, it was a time where, you know, you can still feel that emotional duress that he went through because he almost lost it all. And, and in that story that he shared, I mean, it really starts to surface the, what's at stake when, when you're building companies. I mean, this is um, anybody building a company and they've raised millions of dollars and they have the kind of exposure that a lot of these entrepreneurs do, or that really anybody does who's, who's building a company. It's, um, it's a full contact sport, I think is probably the way to phrase it up. So when Peter came through with his answer there, and I really encourage people to listen to that episode because there's tons to learn from it, but yeah, it was heartfelt. And I thought that was really a, uh, an interesting response and an interesting story that he shared. I think a lot of people who listen to any show like yours or anything that's got to do with raising capital or, or entrepreneurship in any kind of way need to realize and recognize that the people that are behind these businesses that are starting all of these businesses that are taking on all of this risk, the pressure that these guys and gals are under is immense. It is insane mm -hmm. to see how much pressure people can take on sort of a day-to-day -day basis, especially when you've got, you know, investors that have thrown millions and millions and millions of dollars into your venture. And I mean, you're literally working 24-7 to make it work and to see them go through something like that and then come out the other side successful and sometimes unsuccessfully. I think we can learn a, a ton from that kind of experience. And whenever I see that, when I, and, and even in my very, very small venture, it's it's incredible to be a part of and incredible to learn the along the journey, so to speak. So what mm. do you think that you've learned from from all these guests that that you've had on from from all of these amazing people, these entrepreneurs, these investors? What's the one thing that you've taken away? I know it's hard to distill it down to one thing, but what's the one thing that you've taken away that you think is the most impactful to you? I think the one thing that is that's most meaningful to me is when you speak with somebody who's seen incredible success, they've also seen just arguably unbearable failure as well. And you know, there's very few people I think who just have continued wins one after another. And if they do, they're they're the elites of business who are savants in just navigating all of the 
all of the the variables in building companies. But the the guests that I've had on, and you know, I'll give an example. Most recently, Bruce Croxon on. When I jump on with people of of that success and you know, arguably that caliber, you know, former Dragons Den star and all, I always have this sense of like, ah, okay, how's this going to go? What's this guy going to be like? And when when guests like that come through and can speak with humility, that to me is is very meaningful. It's great to see somebody who's been through it and recognizes how hard it is, and then is willing to put themselves or continue to put themselves out there, albeit like as, a, as an investor, as a venture capitalist, I mean, they're putting themselves on the line when investing in companies that they believe in. They're not just saying, hey, here's a check and I want a board seat. They're actually putting their emotions on the line as well. And so when you, when you see that kind of thing and when somebody maintains that humility and maintains that understanding of how hard it is, I think that's really... Uh, uh, that's been meaningful me, meaningful to me to see that. I think the other thing is that, is, as I've seen, and, and I mentioned there, that the ones who can communicate with story and passion, I mean, it just it becomes captivating. And that's, um, that's something that all humans are attracted to, is, is who can captivate whose attention. And when doing that, you know, you start to win people over. So, But I think, if anything, what, what's most meaningful to me is, is those who are incredibly successful but still maintain their uh, their head about them. Very, very cool. It's been an incredible journey for you, man. It's been incredible to see you grow, um, especially when it comes to doing your show and, and your, your voice being developed and all that kind of stuff. It, I'm just so impressed with all of it. But what do you want your listeners to take away from this journey? What do you want your listeners to take away from this effort that you've been through and, and maybe even this 50th episode, what do you want your listeners to take away? The whole purpose of the podcast is, is and what I'm learning from it is that in building your company and, and in dealing with things that, such as financings, which are such pivotal events in the, in the career or excuse me, in the lifetime of a company that you're not alone uh, the CEOs and the management teams and the investor relations professionals, they're, they're not alone. And that the experiences we're hearing from the guests on the, on the Insider's Guide to Finance are, are a testament to that. And, and, and being able to lean against that and listen to that and listen to stories of, of not all wins. I mean, the absolute thing I did not want this podcast to be was some hoopla about how big the wins were. There's too much of that out there. And that just, it's not helpful. So. I think the takeaway is recognizing that the success that that these guests have had, it is doable, and it, you know everybody can achieve it. But it's I think there's also another aspect of that that it's the timeline, and, and I'm going to try to weave this in, and hopefully it's it's understandable. But it's the timeline there because oftentimes I've heard these guests make reference to to timing and and frankly luck, and I mean call luck just good fortune of timing to, to bring it back in the sense that right place, right time were, meant that they were able to solidify the deal, the, the sale, the financing, however it may be that, that turned them into what's defined as a huge success. Um, and so when it brings it back and tie it into you know, what I'm learning through this podcast as well, it's just the amount of time it takes and commitment it takes to deliver something of value that's actually been I, I don't want to say an eye opener for me but i've i've just been i've been humbled by what it's taken to to get something as simple as this podcast to where it is now and 
I think in the future, I mean, I just, it's, it's a commitment to just keep on doing this because really it, it, I love hearing people say, Hey, thank you for this. This is, this has been so helpful. And so that's really, I mean, that's a nice thing to have, but it, it is definitely been humbling and in, in how much it takes to build this out. And, um, yeah, I think we'll just keep on going. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed about your journey is that you've almost become the public venture capital therapist. <laughs> where, where these these people are getting on the show with you and you're asking these these difficult insightful questions that really causes them to think and it causes them to reflect on their journey and some of the answers that I've heard from some of the questions I was very surprised by and I didn't expect people to be so open and so truthful and just saying, yeah, you know, we fucked up. Here's how we fucked up. Or yeah, we made a mistake or yeah, we, you know, we should have gone this way, but we went this way because of luck and it worked out. Yeah. And that for me has just been incredible to listen to. I'm a fan of your show. So thank you very much for doing what you do. Thank you for inviting me to interview you on your 50th episode. It's quite an honor and quite a privilege. And for the listeners that are listening to this right now, uh, if you could take away one thing from this episode, the, the thing that I want you to take away as the interviewer is the journey. And a lot of us talk about, yeah, we, you know, the goal that we want to achieve in any kind of business, what, what, whatever venture we're setting out, whether we're investors or we're entrepreneurs, we always talk about the goals, but we don't, we don't necessarily talk about the journey often enough. And I think what Corey's show does very well is it talks about the journey. Um, so remember to take stock of the journey while you're going through whatever it is you're going through and appreciate where you are right now. And Corey, again, thank you just so much for being that person that highlights the journey and, and does good things for this community. We really appreciate it. Mark, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.